Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Self-Publishing Tips and Tricks Show, a series designed to give you insight into the world of self-publishing and marketing your books. I'm Morgan Lee, and I'm here with my co-hosts. I'm Shannon Ruddy under the pen name of SD Houston. And I'm Ben Pick. Today, we're here with thriller writer and ghostwriter Bethany Vota. We're going to ask her questions about her life as a ghostwriter and how that intersects with her life as an author publishing her books. But before we jump into the interview, do you guys have any news or points of interest you would like to discuss or talk about? Yes. So my Kickstarter campaign just got over yesterday, uh, but um, I am going to transfer it to Indiegogo. So if you're so interested in backing it, you can go there to back it as well. I'm not going to have the campaign last nearly as long, probably just a couple of weeks, just to try out the platform because it is something that I don't really know much about, but it's kind of suggested to try it once you finish your Kickstarter campaign to move it over there. I don't imagine the book will be on platforms until later this year, retailer platforms like, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble and things like that until probably November or December, which is not the best time to publish a book. So I may push it off to next year, but I haven't decided on that yet. <laughs> So that is the biggest thing going on with me right now. I'm actually going on a week of vacation starting tomorrow. I'm not actually going anywhere. I'm going to be doing nothing <laughs> for one week. So I'm looking forward to that starting tomorrow. That's awesome. Staycations are the best. And I hope you catch up on your rest. Thank you. As for me, I don't really have anything going on. I got my weekly running to write episodes every Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern. And I am prepping to send out my third book, my manuscript to the first professional editor, who is the developmental editor. And between now and when this video goes up, I am hopefully going to find my line editor. So we'll see how that goes. I got a meeting next week. So thank you. Morgan is a wonderful, to, a wonderful editor for my manuscript. You've done incredible work for the first two books. So I'm hoping that we can find the time for the third one. Oh, so yeah. that's who she was talking or that's who you were talking about when you said, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Yes. Well, the, the second one. So yeah, the, the developmental editor is, the, is first, but I'm talking to Morgan next week to try and figure out if we can get you line. as a line editor. Yeah. Okay. When you said line editor, I thought, well, was it Morgan the line editor? Who's it going <laughs> this time? <laughs> yep. Hopefully. That's that's what I'm hoping for. So we'll see. Yeah. Awesome. And then for me, uh, Nano just finished. So I have, at least I have one book finished. My goal was three books. Um, as of recording this, I did finish one of them drafting. So I I'm still working on the other two. So hopefully I'll have at least two maybe done at this time. And I'll be working on finishing those for publication next year. So that's all I'm really working on right now. Can and I ask well, which one you finished? Yeah. Um, so it's a it's the first book in my new cozy fantasy series. And this one is about a centaur and a and his human daughter. So that's what that story is about. Did it end up being cozy? Remember <laughs> we talked about this? I don't know. I really don't know if it's cozy yet. That will probably come in the revision. I there are some like darker moments that I wrote. So I'm like, I don't know if this still fits in, but we'll see. Uh, yeah, that's all I got going on. So now let's talk about our guest author today. Bethany Vota started writing in college on little note cards in an effort to stay awake during chemistry. If you can't find her, she's probably taking a nap on the beach or playing in a river. Feel free to follow her on Instagram at Bethany J. Vota, where she tries to post regularly, or sign up for her newsletter at www.bethanyjvota.com, where she sometimes, on the rare occasion when she has her act together, sends important monthly updates and secret stories. Let's welcome Bethany. Hello, Hello. Bethany. Thank Hello. you for joining us. 
uh, would you take a moment to introduce yourself or talk about anything that we missed? Hi, yes, my name is Bethany Vota, and I write short stories that make their way into collections and thrillers. And I also have experience ghostwriting, which is what we'll be talking about today. I've also been having some web hosting domain issues. So if you want to sign up for that newsletter, the new site is http dot dot slash slash eepurl.com slash g v-i-j-c-h it's a mess it's in a link tree in my instagram you can and it'll be below in the description box and in the show notes okay perfect great awesome thank you we're so happy to have you here today so as we get into this interview why don't you tell us a little bit about what made you want to start writing and self-publish your first book yeah so i got my foot in the door writing and self-publishing short stories which happened after I failed miserably at a full-length novel like it was hot mess express and I really enjoyed the writing process but I was like this is not sustainable if I can't get a story that's you know fun to read so I started writing short stories just to like practice a little bit and just flex that writer muscle and I found a really fun niche with that and I really enjoyed it and then I started submitting to magazines and online publications. And then when I started getting accepted, this took a few years, not an overnight type thing. Um, I was like, oh, maybe there's something to this. And then I had this abundance of short stories and I was like, well, what do I do with this? And then I read a few short story collections and I was like, I could do this. And thus the short story collection writing was born and publishing dream exploded. <laughs> I know you just say you mostly do the short stories and things like that, but when I first read your work, it was a novel. It was a shorter novel, uh, granted, but it was a novel, Tracker, which was really, I love that book. Um, so it is an awesome read. Uh, definitely go and get that. It's, um, it's considered a thriller, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, and I'm not really into thriller and horror or anything along those lines because I do have very vivid um, dreams and things like that, but it did, it did not do that for me. It was a very, very good book. So I know it's not just short stories. You do have a novel out there too. Yes. Yes. I have a novel out and I'm working on another one and I do have some follow-up stuff. So it's not just short stories. That's just kind of how I got my foot in the door. Gotcha. And I've flexed that writer muscle enough where I feel confident enough to actually write a full story, like a full length novel. And it actually is readable, which is a miracle considering where I started. <laughs> So what helped you to make that decision to self-publish your work versus traditionally publishing? I had like a fun experience in the sense of because I traditionally published as much as you can uh, short stories, the back and forth, the copyright issues, the like making money, but not being able to like republish because you don't own the copyright. I got really tired of keeping up with it all. I had some friends that had been traditionally published and I'd seen the amazing, great things that can come from that. But in the end, I wanted my story to be totally under my control. And that's what sold it for me. And I, I, my thought was, I can always change my mind with my next book. I can always unpublish and try again. Like I can always change my mind, but I've had a really good experience self-publishing to the point where like I'm growing and learning more with each book and it's becoming more profitable and I've enjoyed the whole process. So it was, it was definitely a leap of faith of like, well, we'll see what happens. You mentioned that you're a ghostwriter. For those of you who may not know what that is or what that entails, could you describe to us what is a ghostwriter? Yeah, um, a, it's essentially what the name sounds like. Uh, you write 
for you write a book for someone else. You don't get your name on it. You usually sign an NDA. You don't get to tell anyone that, oh, I wrote this really popular book or unpopular, depending. Um, and uh, it's it, someone pays you to write it and they get the rights to it and they get to do whatever they want with it. So I've written four books as a ghostwriter. Um, and I think we're going to talk a little bit more about what that looks like and how we got into that side of writing. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the decision to become a ghostwriter? Did that happen before or after you started publishing your your own work? Ghostwriting kind of accidentally fell into my lap after I had a couple of short stories published, but not any collections that I had done myself. I'd been approached to beta read and edit a few pieces from a few people that kind of a friend of a friend, they saw me and my stories on a publication. They liked my style. We reached out, got connected. Um, and my first job, which ended up being two jobs, two books for a series, I had edited this gentleman's series. It's an eight book series. I had edited two, like the most recent two books. And then he got really sick. And he is like, I have everything plotted out for the next two books on how to close out this series. I just do not have the time, energy, or mental capacity with all my medication to do it. And I had read all of his books. I'd been part of the publishing process for him. And so that's when I say like it kind of fell into my lap. I'd already had this established relationship. So when he brought it up, it was not like this crazy. I've never done this before. I mean, like I had never done it before, but I was like, okay, I know the story. I know the characters. We work together. It's been great. Let's, let's try this. Um, and so that's how the first job came to be. <laughs> So if someone was looking to actually become a ghostwriter, like they were purposely trying to become a ghostwriter, what process would you suggest for them? Networking is really powerful, whether it's between, you know, going to a writer's guild and in, in taking classes and, you know, meeting with other editors and other ghostwriters and writers. Oftentimes with like dream jobs, it's, it's your skill that definitely helps, but it's also who you know and being there and available for when those opportunities pop up practice wise and whatnot, like you need to have enough of a backlist or at least some sort of proof that you, you know what you're doing. You're not this like crazy person. That's like, Oh, I can write a book, even though you've never read a, written a book before. So having some sort of portfolio is really powerful. And then just getting involved, looking in your area for like a writer's guild or a writer's group, because often that's when those opportunities can can start presenting themselves, but it's, it's pretty hard to market. I've had a couple of friends try and market like on Fiverr or just on their own site as just a ghostwriter. And they, they've become successful, but they definitely undersold themselves for their first few projects. And it was like technically not worth it for them how low that they marketed themselves and how much they charged. It was abysmally low, but they've gotten the like rapport, the background and the like reviews from past clients that they were able to make their prices more market value. So there's a couple ways to go about it, but honestly, it's who you know can really, really help. Sorry, I want to just add in one more question right here because based on based on what you said, how do you advertise as a ghostwriter? You, you said you signed all these NDAs of you can't take credit for these books, but how do you include that in your portfolio if you aren't allowed to say, you know, you worked on it or are you allowed to say that you worked on it? Yeah, so with every book project, every ghostwriting project that I've worked on, I've signed an NDA, meaning I cannot tell you what book I wrote and 
for who and for good reason, like that makes sense. So for building your portfolio, you can say, so you can talk about like the genre you've written for and kind of the readership, how many reviews it has, how well known it is. You can actually ask the author that you've worked for if it's okay to disclose certain elements. Um, you just can't lie. I think ethically that's, you know, a standard. Don't lie and say, oh, I've worked on like these amazing books that are now like New York Times bestsellers, but I can't tell you what, like, no, but having like a portfolio in, in the sense of like, here are some pieces that I've written, like here would be like some comparable first chapters for a genre that you're, you know, interested in working in um, that type of thing. Sure. That makes sense. How do you determine what jobs you want to take? Very, very carefully, because if you're an editor and Morgan's an editor, I'm sure she knows like you're, you're in this book for a long haul. It is not a quick process. And especially if you're writing a book for somebody it is a very close process with that author. So you need to just make sure that you guys vibe well and have a really good communication style. And then it's something that you're gonna enjoy to a certain degree. So like, I cannot write fantasy. That's not to say I won't maybe one day in the future, but like, that is a whole other beast that I do not have any experience with. So there's no way I would ever accept a job where it's like fantasy based, even like magical realism. I'm like, oh, this is out of my depth. So like know your lane <laughs> and what you enjoy um, and then have super, super clear expectations and a very, very solid contract. That way, if there are ever any issues, you can refer back to the document that you both signed and be like, oh, actually, yeah, I should have done this. Or actually, no, this is a service that I don't provide. See the, see the contract. Oh, darn, I can't contract you then write my next fantasy book. <laughs> oh, darn, yes. You do not want that. <laughs> so you just mentioned the contracts. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process and how writers can protect themselves? Yeah, so there's a lot of resources out there that actually have certain contracts already written up that you can just kind of edit, look over, and tailor it to your own self. Um, so for the first job I had, I knew this guy uh, we've had a rapport. I was his editor for two of his books. And so I knew that like communication style, it was great. So then we just created a schedule, wrote it in the contract. Uh, we created a payment plan, wrote it in the contract, created like an expectation of quality, wrote it in the contract. We even had like the plot points in the contract and like what happens if, you know, what happens? Like we had to talk about like what happens if he like prematurely passes away due to this illness he was dealing with what then like full encompassing things and that's also some people actually have like a lawyer on retainer I do not have that I just have wise people in my life that I have read over a contract to see if I'm missing anything I can't say if that's like a good or bad way of going about it but it's worked thus far but yeah there's lots of contracts available online that are like really well legally written that you can download for free and then you just tailor it to what you need I'm, I'm glad you told us that where they could find it. Cause that was going to be like a question I was going to add in. It's like, well, where do you get it? Like a sample contract from, because it, it'd be hard to know what, what to add in there to make sure you're covering everything. If you've never done it before. Yeah. Google is a really great resource. I forgot the link. There's a site that literally has like contracts for hiring a painter contracts for having a tenant live in your condo contracts for Airbnb contracts for any of these things, just a quick Google search. And then it's, it's this wealth of information. And then you can ask if you're part of a writer's guild or a writer's group with other experienced authors, you can ask to see what they use. And that's also a really great resource as well. Okay. 
So without giving us any specifics about people or projects, as we know that's privileged information, have you ever had struggles with authors who you might have wanted more control of the story and narrative? And how did you handle that? Yes. So I did ask this author's daughter because he has since passed away and she said I could share a little bit more information. So the series that I finished from, it was the two book series. It followed one character and his adventures and it was eight books. And I did not like the way that the author wanted to end his story. I was like, this is way too open. Readers are going to expect another book because it was the eighth book of the series. That was like the closing one. He's like, this is the end of the book end of the series and I was like it's not if you read the plot points that you gave me like there is a window open for so many more opportunities I think you're going to disappoint your readers but he that's just the way he wanted to end it and I was I just had to be be okay with it or on another book with a different author she wanted a morally gray character and we had talked about that we'd gone through like the character profile the types of examples of like how this person would interact with people and whatnot. And I was like, this is not a morally gray character. This is a very unlikable character. And I hate writing unlikable characters. I just, it's not my favorite thing at all. And I was like, this isn't like pros and cons, like a little bit living in the gray area. I was like, this guy's just awful. And there's no redeeming qualities. And I hate that you're telling me this is morally gray when it's not. But in the end, I was like, it's just labels, just semantics. Okay, like you want me to write morally gray? I'll just write this really unlikable character so you'll be happy. Um, and in the end, it was like, it's not my story. I'm just helping them tell it. But it's it's hard because no matter what you're writing, whether it's for yourself or you're using you know, a prompt or a really well detailed outline that your client gives you, you're putting your heart on the page and you wanna be proud of it. And so like, sometimes you're writing a character and you're like, man, I just do not like him, but then you just remember, oh, my name's not going to be attached to it. It's fine. It's fine. No one has to know. What does your schedule look like? Is it something you have a lot of control over? And how do you balance every task you have associated with ghostwriting with writing your own works? In theory, I have a ton of control over my schedule. In actual practice, I'm stupid and I overbook myself and I definitely think I can do more than I can. But I think that's like the process for anyone in this type of industry. There's always road bump, bumps pop up. You're like, oh, I had no idea that I was going to have to deal with this today. But I'm very, very selective about my projects. And I, at this point, fortunately enough and blessed enough to have my books take priority. So then I work out my publishing schedule or like ideal theoretical publishing schedule, and then I'll schedule maybe one or two big projects a year around that. And I can be really, really picky. And that's just because of the small little niche community I accidentally created. Day to day, I wake up, spend two to three hours just on my books, my stuff, hopefully writing, but marketing tends to get in the way. And then I will do two to three, sometimes five to six hours of client work if I'm taking on client work at that time. If I'm not taking on client work, then it's usually just fast drafting like mad because I have to write a lot of words to get decent words, but that's just my, my own writing process. Um, so what have you learned from ghostwriting that has helped you in your own writing? Oh, so, so much. I think a lot of improving as a writer is writing and making mistakes and just flexing that writer muscle. And I mean, Ben's a runner, like you can't get better at running unless you run. And it doesn't matter if you're running on your favorite trail ever, like doesn't matter if I'm writing my own stories or whatnot, or I'm 
running on a boring track in circles, it's still running and it's still good for you. And so writing no matter what is, is I think just really good for you, but it's definitely forced me to think outside the box in the way that I approach certain story mechanisms. Cause we use a story grid often as part of our plotting and like we really dive into reader expectations and really keeping that in mind, especially like when I'm writing my own stuff, it's like, what do I like to read? What do I want to make my readers feel type of thing? But when I'm writing for a client, it's like, what are readers expecting and how am I going to deliver that? So it's a little bit of a mental shift that definitely helps both both sides of writing. I do think it kind of falls in line with, you know, if you read a lot in your genre and or you're like a critique partner or if you're a beta reader and you're reading other people's works, all of that I think helps to develop you as a writer and, and add to it, just like I think being a ghostwriter would do as well. I can definitely see that. So what, what is one misconception you had about ghostwriting before you became one? I thought it was you sit, you spend two months pouring your heart and soul into a document and then you give it to the author and you never talk about it again. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true at all. My clients know exactly what I'm writing uh, because we have a very detailed chapter by chapter breakdown. They know what's happening. I send them chapters. They send me back notes. I do not dive in and write the whole project. That would be insane. But that's kind of what I thought it was like, because writing is so solitary for my own stuff. I write the whole book by myself and don't let anyone read it for a draft or two. And it's just, it's, it's a different feeling um, having someone not like over your shoulder because they're very much part of the project as well. At least the clients I've worked with, I have heard of clients that take a very big backseat approach and that's great too, if that would work for you. But no, my clients are very much like passengers in the seat. I'm just kind of driving this crazy train and they let me know when I'm taking a rabbit trail too far or something. So, yeah. That's funny that you point that out because from the side of me, like I have all these stories I know I'm never gonna have time to write. And so I thought about hiring a ghostwriter at one point. I had that misconception that was like, oh, I would just do the whole outline. I'd give it to someone, they'd write the draft. <laughs> and you can do that. That is a that is a process that works for people. I just don't have experience in that because the two clients that I've worked with in the four books we've worked with have been very like, I write a chapter or two, they read it, give me feedback, and then we like plug forward together. But I have had a few friends, acquaintances that that's been more of their style, but they also hadn't had an established series before, which I think changes things. It was like a standalone novel type thing. So I do think that's possible as like a client to give super, super detailed outlines to a ghostwriter and then see what they come up with. I just find that some of the clients that I've worked with could not ever let go of that type of control. <laughs> Well, I bet there's benefit in that too, because if the ghostwriter is not going in the direction with like the character arc, even though you, you feel like that, you know, they understood what you were looking for, but if they've written the whole book. Well, then it's kind of hard to change it at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it very much feels like every time I write like a chapter or something, I don't know if we're so far removed, but the SAT or like a, you know, AP class test where you're like, oh, you have an hour and a half to write an essay or a story. That's what it feels like. It's very focused time of writing. It's like, you know, you're going to be graded on it. And so you approach it a little bit differently, at least for me, some of my critique partners or people in my guild, they, they're like, oh, I can't even tell if it's like my story or not, because they like can step into it very differently where I'm like, nope, this is, this is job writing. It's very different. Um, and I think there's beauty in that because like that means that there's a ghostwriter out there for any project or anyone. And I think that's very comforting. The hard part as a client is finding the right writer for you. 
Are you comfortable discussing any missteps or things you would have liked to have done differently since getting into the business of ghostwriting? Yeah. Oh, I made tons of mistakes. It's great. The first book I ever accepted, I grossly undervalued the time it was going to take. So I undercharged. And realistically, I was at like market value, but I was so new and overanalyzing everything. It took me like four times as long as it should have taken me to do anything. So I was like, oh, I got this like fat paycheck, but also like I worked a million hours for it. Was it worth it? I did not want to like pencil it out and see how much I was getting paid hourly because it was going to be abysmal. But I just didn't know that in the beginning of how long it was going to take and my style with that. The second book I did for a client. And so my second client that I've written two standalones for her, she was a friend of a friend of my first client. And that's how that connection was made. And I made the mistake of before that. So before I got my second client, I was like, I can market my skills. I can do that. And so I went on Fiverr. And that's when I realized the power of you, the author and ghostwriter have got to be super careful with who you work with and whatnot, because people want to take advantage of you, whether they know it or not. And I almost made the mistake of working with some very inexperienced authors. I would have been walked all over and I wasted a lot of time and a lot of communication and a lot of like sample pieces back and forth with them just for me to realize these people don't know what's going on. They are way outside of their depth and so am I. (laughs) And then like writing wise, I think I'm very fortunate because I had that previous rapport with my first client. I knew his style. I knew his genre. I knew it very well that I didn't have as many, you know, like traps that I could walk into as a writer. Whereas my second book, it was a lot more open. And I wished I had asked more specific questions at the beginning stages because I would come up to a question and I'd like assume too much and then we'd have to do some backtracking. So again, learning curves, uh, but again, also fortunate enough to work with clients that we had great communication and rapport. So when I was like, haha, sorry, I like walked off a cliff with this chapter. Can you give me two more weeks to rework it? They were cool with it. So. If you could only pass on one thing to those interested in becoming a ghostwriter, what would be your best tip or trick about the business? It would be finding established authors and ghostwriters to work with and or under. A lot of the questions that I've had have been answered with people in the industry because I don't want to, I don't, full disclosure, I don't want to be a ghostwriter forever. I take on a few projects that are interesting to me because I want to be an author of my own stuff forever. But some people love the like the structure of ghostwriting and they still get to be creative. So finding people in that lane that are successful, that can you can almost apprentice with them is going to be super valuable for you to improve your skill and improve your business sense as well. I don't know where you are in the world, but look for writers guilds in your community. Sometimes they cost money to join, but they're very minimal and affordable monthly payments type thing, but they host classes, workshops, and those people are really going to be influential and in your writing career. And a lot of them I found have been in this for a while, have a website. That's pretty much it. And that's hard to find them through. They don't have social media, it's hard to meet them through social media because they don't have it. So if you can actually physically go to a writer's guild or writer's group and make those connections, it's going to help you so much. It took took me a little bit of uh, some courage and pushing from my uh, friends and family around me to like just do it because it's so scary. You're like, these people are established. Like some of them literally have written books for like celebrities. I'm like, I can never compare. I've written like 
like what you're, you're not supposed to compare like you're not where they're at they've been doing this for 20 years like it's great they are excited about the new generation of people coming in to to take on this this role so if you can find a community in person and make those connections so worth it so worth it I like how you answered my questions that I think of while you're talking, because I was going to say, well, how do you mention networking a couple of times? How do we people network? So it does sound like, you know, it's it's not as easy as like you, you can go on Facebook and find a group, right? There's You said they don't, a lot of them don't even do social media. That would be difficult. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like there are Facebook groups, but you just want to be careful with that because how do you, it's hard to vet the skills and it's hard to like anyone can be an expert on anything because they say they are and how do you how do you verify that i mean like anyone could be a life coach now anyone could be a personal trader and it's like you've never taken a nutrition class in your life why are you telling me to only eat chicken like but they're they're like quote unquote the experts and so being able to actually interact with people swap work see what they're doing and can you can tell a lot more about a person um is what i've what i've found so and then business-wise, like you can start marketing yourself on Fiverr or Upwork or your own page, whatever. It's great. Similarly, people are going to be like, why are you an expert? And you might have to defend, not defend yourself, but prove your merit in a certain way. And that requires a little bit more work, meaning you are giving out some free time of your own to provide samples or take their, you know, first chapter synopsis and you write it. And that's, that's like a tip on you. Like you're, you're not getting paid to do that, but that's how you prove some of your skills to prospective clients as well. All right. So we want to transition from ghostwriting to your life as a publishing writer. So besides being a ghostwriter and indie author publishing under your name, Bethany Abota, you also have a pen name. I've heard you say it a couple of times, but, or you said you've had a pen name. I don't know if you actually share the pen name, um, but can you tell us about the decision to have a pen name and how do you keep track of all of this? Yes. I wish, I guess this is an answer to a previous question about like, what's one of your missteps is I wish that I had for my own publishing gone under a pen name because I am so terrified that I'll have a client that like hates me and decides to like tank my reviews for my books and stuff because Bethany Vota is my real name and that's my business and my publishing business. And I wish that I had done something different for my publishing business to kind of further separate that. And so when I stepped outside of the like thriller and like gritty short stories genre and I had like a cozy, fluffy, contemporary like mystery with like a hint of like romance, I'm like, this is definitely not what a typical like Bethany Votaw reader would probably pick up. I'm like, I got to I got to create some separation. So that's what inspired the pen name thing. And then so much fun to do it anonymously because there's no pressure. None of my family is like, what are you working on now? What are you working on now? I'm like, it's I don't know, it was just kind of like a freeing experiment. And I have three books out under that name and I'm sure I'm going to share the name eventually. But I've been doing so many experiments with it that it's just been just been too much fun, just me in my little corner. And so that's why I went with the pen name route. I'm sure it'll get out eventually, but for now, it's been a fun little secret. So how do you keep track of all of that? Your ghostwriting, your writing, your pen name. That's a lot to do. <laughs> uh, very carefully. Um, things slip through the cracks all the time. So whenever I have a client, my focus is making sure I hit all of those deadlines. Bethany Vota is the like priority publishing name. I have more of a backlist and more of a readership through that. And I think it's because I started significantly earlier with short stories. So I have a little bit more of a readership because of that. And I, I really do like writing short stories. It's one of my favorite, favorite things. So naturally, I always will have some sort of collection in the works. And then purely like my pen name is a palette cleanser is not a great word for it, but it's a like 
it's a lighter, happier, more relaxed type of drafting. And there's a lot of freedom in it because it's not an established brand. I don't have any social media attached to it. I don't have anything other than I just write and publish the book. And then I do occasionally an ad here or there. Like I'm one of the books is in Kindle Unlimited, one isn't, and I'm just doing this great experiment. And so there's no like business mindset so much as just publish and see what happens mindset. So that's like the very fun, like, okay, I just finished a heavy book. I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed, but I don't want to like stop my writing because I feel like then I forget how to write. And that's a fun process trying to figure out that thing. So when I need something like more lighthearted, not that I have to think less, but it's just easier and I can write for fun and it is fun. I, I don't know if I'm explaining myself well. Uh, yeah, Bethany no, Motown is very much like business. We're writing. I have an established brand. I've marketed myself well. We got to keep in that lane. And then like my pen name is like, we're not really sure what's going on, but it's going to be fun. So yeah, once you get like some conclusions from all these little experiments you're doing with your pin name in those books, and we're going to have you back on here to do the big Bethany Votal reveal <laughs> of the pin name and all of your, <laughs> all your notes. All my fun stuff. Yeah, no, it's been fun. And I have documented everything very carefully because it's exciting to see some of the successes and they're small successes and some are growing, some are like stagnating or whatever, but it's like, oh, I'm doing this totally backwards. No face to the name, just the name in a book, occasional Facebook ad. And like things are happening. Things are happening a lot faster for the Bethany Votel brand, but that's because I'm actually like marketing as a whole. But it's very exciting for some people that are like, I cannot do social media. I cannot market and I can say you can still publish and make something nothing crazy but there's something to it there's something there and it's, it's just fun it's really great to see that you can still market yourself and your works through your own social media and then like you said still find some successes going the harder route with just ads which mm -hmm. seems daunting on itself but what would you say is your greatest success with publishing I'm going to get a little cheesy. The The people that I've met through this process has been so fun because for the first year and a half, two years of writing, my, like when I started taking writing seriously, instead of just writing in class, I got a degree in chemistry of all things. And I, I, I was, in, I was writing to kind of like get through chemistry class and it was so solitary. And then my, like right after college, got married, my husband got into grad school, was in an unfamiliar place, didn't know anybody. And so like writing was so much fun, but but it was so isolating. I had no one. And then I discovered this thing called AuthorTube. And then I met people and it was like, I have friends all over the world whom I've never met in person, but I feel like I know really well. And that's been amazing having like that community to like fill each other up. I found critique partners. I found beta readers, things that I was like, ah, oh, it'd be nice to have one day. Like I found on accident. And I hope I'm not wrong in saying like they're genuine friendships and connections. Um, and so that's been really, really fun. And then like speaking with like specific writers, Writing, one of my pr proudest moments is Broken Wings is a, a pretty like heavy, heavy collection. And my grandma is just, just not a reader. She's an, she's an interesting person, but she's really enjoyed it. And she's read it a few times. Yeah, Shannon's holding it up there. Broken Wings and Buried Secrets. So it's been pretty special because my mom, my sister, and a lot of my extended family haven't read my other collection or my thriller because they are afraid it's too scary. So then reading the Broken Wings collection and enjoying it, I'm like, okay. I don't need family validation, but it, it kind of helps. I mean, we're writers. Some encouragement helps. Tell me to read uh, Tracker. Tracker's not scary. What did I say? I don't know. Yeah, we'll get there. I think you're on the edge of, edge of your seat because you don't know what's going to happen what's going to happen next. But it's, I'm it's, like, it's, if you can make it through Silence of the Lambs, you can make it through this book. Oh, it's fine. Definitely, definitely. I couldn't make it through Silence of the Lambs. I made it through your book. Same. <laughs> so if you could only pass on one thing to a, 
aspiring self-published writers, what will be your best publishing tip or trick? You can always change your mind. There is very little in this industry that is permanent. Like it might take you some time, money, effort, and a little bit of a headache to fix some of the mistakes you make, but very rarely do you make a permanent decision. Take some comfort in that because like maybe you prematurely publish. Great. You unpublish. Maybe you hate your cover. Great. You republish. Maybe you hate co-writing. Great. Finish the book and, and then that, that's it. You're done. Maybe you hate that you went wide. Great. Change. You can change things. Use, use your resources. Don't just go in and hope for the best. Like do your research. But if you make mistakes, it's okay because you can you can always fix it. And I wish I had known that because for my first few books, I was like, oh, this is it. This is horrible. That typo is going to be in there forever. Like there's nothing I can do about it. It's like, no, you can, you can fix things. It's okay. <laughs> I absolutely love that about the industry. You can always go back and change whatever you need to change. Yeah, I was going to say, you actually helped me transition from one publisher to an entirely different one. So yeah, thank you for, thank you for that. Yeah. It made things a lot easier. I've made plenty of mistakes on the way, but I feel like if you're doing anything that you really like, those mistakes, you're like, ah, okay, cool, pivot, move on. Um, and they're not gonna they're not gonna stop you, but it's definitely, you know, hard lesson learned, but you don't know it until you're doing it and at least you're doing it and not talking about doing it. <laughs> so yes. This is coming from someone who like had tracker written for a year and a half and was just holding on to it because I was too scared to publish. So I sound all tough, but I'm not. <laughs> my novel of my heart. I had told my husband I was going to try and find a, a traditional publisher. And if I didn't, then I'd pursue self-publishing. And this was back in 2011, 12. And I never did it, never fell, followed through. But I think I recognize now that that book is probably not very good. But I do think about, well, if I would have just gone ahead and published it, maybe I would have gotten the feedback I needed from whoever did read it to become a better writer than I am now. So <laughs> I would have grown. So yeah, I wish I would have done it. I wish I would have took that leap of faith. So it was 10 years before I actually published anything. So you, you're not too... You know, I've got a few years on you. <laughs> it's but. scary. It's scary. We're all authors. We all know it's like we we pour our blood, sweat, tears, and heart onto a page, and then we're like, "Here, anybody can read it and critique it. This is great." Like, but that's what we do. All right. So, what does your typical writing life look like? I think you kind of talked about this a little bit, but if you want to go uh, into like maybe, do you have like do you set a time period to write for every day, or do you even write every day? What does that look like for you? I try and write every day. It can be something small, something big, but I, I spend a lot of time if I'm writing a novel on the outlining phase. Like I have critique partners for my outline. I spend a lot of time on that. And that way, when I start writing, I know I'm going to finish because I think one of the things for me is if I start a project and I don't finish it, then it just kind of like derails the mental game for me. I have to finish it, even if it's bad, which it is. It's a first draft. It's fine. Um, I have to finish it. And the best way to set myself up for that is having a really solid outline. So I have like collections going, I have my pen name book going, but I never work on the same stage. So like if my pen name book is in the drafting phase, then my like Bethany Vota book is in the like editing, formatting, line editing phase. I'm not drafting two books at the same time. I like alternate. And I think that helps my brain switch from one project to the other. Collection wise and short story wise, I kind of allow the muse to come to me with that. I don't sit down and be like, I have to write four short stories today. Um, I'm to the point where I, I don't need to do that. Before when I was learning how to write every day and, and practicing that, sure, that's what I did. For example, I'm writing a novel right now where my goal every day, it's a small goal because this 
novel is giving me more trouble than I thought. It's like, if I write a thousand words, that's great. And I find once I get to a thousand words, getting to 1500 or 1800 words is pretty easy. I have an outline to follow. I shouldn't be getting too lost. I shouldn't be getting like stuck and don't edit as you write. Leave yourself little notes about, oh, fix this in the future, fix this in the future. But if you edit while you write, you're never going to finish. But yeah, I, I ideally like two to three hours, first thing in the morning, just sit and write the project. That's the main thing. And then trying to plan ahead with like, oh, this book will be with beta readers for a month. So then I can like pivot to this book and whatnot is super fun in theory. And having a pretty calendar is great, but just plan for your plan to fail. That's the way life works. Uh, <laughs> And just, you just do your best, take it day by day. I had a laugh at that because I think, what was an Instagram post you did where you said you were going to be looking for beta readers for your next book? And I was like, mm -hmm. me, 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 as long as it's not, I don't know, what, what month did I say? July? As long as it's not July or whatever, because I'm really busy. And, you're, and you, you put in there, oh, you think I'm going to have, I have a plan or something. I don't remember what you said, but it was laughable. So. Yeah. Oh, bless you thinking I have it together. No. no. <laughs> Like, because it's just reality. Like, for example, the novel that I'm working on right now was supposed to be done by the end of this month. I am like halfway through it. And that's because I was like, yes, friend whom I've worked with forever, I will definitely edit your book. Why did I do that? Like, I had purposely planned to have this month for writing and fast drafting my book. Because that's how I do it. I fast draft. Like, I sit and I write the books. But then I was like, I have more than 24 hours in a day, right? Like I can, I'll take this on. No, I don't. And of course, like someone else is relying on me. So like, that's the new priority and it's, I do it to myself. But I think we're all guilty of that. What are you working on next? Can you tell us a little bit more about your projects or is it a little secretive and ghostwriting and you can't really say anything? Yes, I can say a lot and then also not a lot. So I'm not ghostwriting in the future. My next ghostwriting project is in the summer of next year, which is great because I have a lot of projects I want to close out. I'm hoping to have another short story collection for October to release. It's looking like it will work. Um, there's a few short stories that are giving me some issues, so I might need to like rework them and whatnot. But it looks like I'll have another collection in October. But the novel that I'm working on, which was supposed to be done at the end of this month, which I'm going to have to extend the deadline, so probably first part of next year. It's a full-length novel, another mystery thriller. It's involving a ranch in Wyoming, a suspicious death, and a little kid that kind of finds his own little mystery that's intertwined with his father's. So it's, it's fun. It's fast paced. There's lots of layers to it. I just feel like maybe I need to take a trip out to Wyoming to, you know, reignite the spark. But that's what I've been working on. So those are the two Bethany Votaw books. But I've also been approached by a few people to write a resource about flash fiction. A lot of my publications in magazines and anthologies are either microfiction or flash fiction. And I've had some people reach out for like, what resources did I use what helped me and honestly it was a lot of trial and error so I'm writing an ebook might take me some time it's essentially this long-winded blog that I'll put together for my newsletter subscribers of here's what I do when I approach flash fiction hopefully it will help you so hopefully that'll be like a Christmas gift I can I can release to my newsletter subscribers but that's kind of like a passion project when I'm like in a busy area and hard for me to focus then I can go to this like nonfiction piece and treat it kind of like an essay versus creative writing. But those are the three main projects I've been circling between. During the AuthorTube Writing Conference, Natalie Locke and uh, a partner that she works with on Flash Fiction, they actually did a presentation on a bunch of resources. So I wonder if you guys have anything that overlaps, but yeah, they, they did a whole presentation fun. on it. Yeah, I'll check it out for sure. Yeah, so it's it's been a fun project of just like how I approach Flash Fiction, some tips and tricks, the general rules, 
why we break rules, why there are rules to begin with. And I've done like a few blog posts for some people about it. And so I'm kind of compiling those. So it's a, it's just a fun project for people that are interested in in writing Flash and where to start. But that's not got like a hard and fast deadline like my, my fiction pieces do. <laughs> All right. So to round out this interview, we'd like to do something a little bit differently. We're going to do a round of rapid fire where you say the first thing that comes to your mind, answer as quickly as you can. So are you game to do that? I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. Um, so the first question is, what comes first for you, the characters, the setting, or the plot? The setting. Morning writer or night writer? Morning. Planner, pantser, or planter? Planner. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Complete the sentence. The best thing about writing is? The flexibility. What's the favorite book you read? Um, ooh, Cutting for Stone by Abraham Verghese. Least favorite character from your novels? Um, probably, probably, ooh, <laughs> probably Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Your dream ghostwriting project? Um, a witty celebrity memoir. What's your favorite thriller novel? Mm, other than Tracker? Um, <laughs> Good plug. I, oh, I've been on a uh, case, case, Casey Box, CS, CS Box kick lately. Mm -hmm. All of his books have been interesting. It follows the same character. Imagine like a Jack Reacher in Wyoming. Very uh, formulaic, but still holds my interest. So that's been interesting. CJ, CJ Box. That's that's the author. Nice. Well, you have answered all of our questions. So before we wrap up, can you please tell our listeners and viewers where they can find you and possibly hire you as a ghostwriter or purchase your books? Hi, yes. Um, you can find me on social media, mostly Instagram, Bethany J. Vota. I have a link tree. It's the link tree slash Bethany J. Vota, where I'll have sites to all of my books and newsletter and stuff. You can email me at bethanyjvota at gmail.com. That's my professional email. If you want to hire me for a project in the future, just send me an email. We'll discuss it. Full disclosure, I accept maybe 25% of the people that ask, but I have a lot of really great resources and it's probably not because I don't want to work with you it's probably because I don't think I'm qualified or I don't have time in my schedule but I will point you in a direction of someone who could help you it's not like I'm picky because I want to be it's picky because I need to be <laughs> yeah and I'm on YouTube I, I kind of pop in on streams and whatnot I have some really fun projects and you know little experiments that I'll be sharing and doing videos about in the future but for now that's that's pretty much where you can find me <laughs> Sweet. Welcome. Thank you so much again for joining us today and giving your insight and experience as a ghostwriter and an author and wishing you all the luck on your next projects and, and books for your pen name and Bethany Vota. So just wishing you all the luck on all your projects coming up. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was fun. You're welcome. And thank you so much to our listeners and viewers. We will have fantasy author C.M. Lockhart on August 15th. And that's all for us today. So goodbye, everybody. Bye.